for about 30 years, from the mid-30s to the mid-60s, Alcatraz served as the place that some of America's most notorious criminals were imprisoned. People like Al Capone spent years, even decades there. Of course, you know Alcatraz is located right off the coast of San Francisco, and now it's just a historical site. My, my wife and I got to visit there a few years ago, and it's pretty cool if you ever get a chance to go. You take a ferry out there, and then you go up into the prison, and it's just what you would expect from something that was built in the 1930s, right? Uh, concrete walls, cells stacked on top of each other, and you kind of start imagining what would it be like if I had been imprisoned in Alcatraz. Here's a, a picture of one of the cells, and it's bare and spare, it's small, there's not much to it. And, and so you're just in there thinking, what would it be like if that's where I spent 23 hours a day? Because they only got about an hour that they could walk outside the prison. And we kind of experienced what it might be like to be them. Because when we walked outside of the prison, this is what we see. Just on the other side of the water is this big, modern, beautiful city. If you were in Alcatraz, you'd be looking at this thinking, I'm so close to it, right? I mean, that big, beautiful cultural city with, with all the people who are enjoying their freedom, having fun, doing their thing, it's just right there, but it's so far away because I'm here in Alcatraz and I can't get there and be like those people who are getting to do that. And as I sat there that day and just kind of looked across at the city and imagined what it might be like to be them, I thought, well, this is my life in some ways. There are so many things that I think I want in life, that I need in life, that just seem out of reach. Like they're right there. I can see it. I can taste it, but I can't get there. I think happiness is like that. That, 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 that just like those prisoners wanted to be there, we want to be happy. We see other people being happy. Happiness seems like it should be, that, it should be pretty easy. It shouldn't be that hard. But, but we're not as happy as we probably think we should be. We're not as happy as it looks like other people are. It's just out of reach. There's a guy named Blaise Pascal who wrote in the 1600s. But human beings haven't changed much since Genesis 1. So not much since the, since the 1600s either. He, he says this about people of any age, any century. He said, all men seek happiness. This means all people are driven by a motivation to be happy. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. In other words, people make all kinds of decisions. Your decisions are different than hers or different than his. But what drives the ball is the pursuit of happiness. He says, the will never takes the least step but to this object, to be happy. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. So Pascal says that we're all driven by this desire to be happy. And if you think about it, he's right. Why do people get married? Well, they hope to live happily ever after. Why do people get divorced? Because I deserve to be happy, right? I mean, why do people move? Or why build a new house? Why take a new job, move to a new city, have another drink? Why go to the gym? Buy a car, shop online, scroll through your phone, look at pornography. It's all the pursuit for happiness. And I know you're sitting there going, well, don't they know that that won't make them happy? Well, I'd say back to you, in that moment, don't you think it will make you happy? 
Isn't that why you do it? If you ask parents, well, what is it you want for your kids? I mean, everybody eventually comes to the same answer. I want my kids to be happy. So how do we get to this place where we want to be happy? We want those who are closest to us to be happy. It looks like other people around us are probably happy, but we can't be happy. How did we get there? Uh, the prophet Jeremiah, writing centuries before Jesus, he answers those kind of questions. And he says it this way. For my people have done two evil things. So the first evil thing that we've done is abandoned me, the fountain of living water. And the second is that we've dug cisterns for ourselves, cracked cisterns that don't hold water. In the Middle East and in a lot of developing countries today, water is absolutely precious. And so they do everything they can to contain it, to hold on to it, because you got to have water to live, right? So they collect water in ingenious ways and then hold on to it. So you can see in, in this uh, picture that people capture rainwater off of roofs and then hold it in a tank. Now these tanks are called cisterns, and, and a lot of cisterns, uh, which is what Jeremiah called them, they're underground, right? So, so here are people who are standing around collecting water they, in, in, in the ground. Now for these people who are, who are standing here, the worst thing that you could tell them is that their cistern had a crack in it. Because if their cistern has a crack in it, that out leaks water, but more than that, out leaks their life. So Jeremiah tells us that we have a cracked cistern. The thing that we've been hoping will hold our happiness has a crack in it. And it's leaking out life. It's leaking out our happiness. Jeremiah says, we have left God who has promised to make us happy. We've left the living water and instead tried to find happiness apart from God. Jeremiah says, somehow you have convinced yourself. He says, somehow you have convinced yourself that you know better than God what makes you happy. And I think if Jeremiah were sitting here, he just asked, so how's that working out for you? How's that working out? I mean, think of all the progress we've made as human beings, whether it's travel or communication or science or medicine or technology. There's been all kinds of improvements to, to our life. We've been able to live, lift millions, maybe billions of people over the years out of poverty. Uh, we, we have more educational opportunities for people, more people today than ever have basic civil rights. Compared to our ancestors, we are wealthier and more comfortable. They couldn't even imagine the wealth and comfort we live in. But no one today, no one that I am aware of today is making the argument that we are happier than those who came before us. In fact, in fact, if you were to look around at the rise of depression or anxiety or addiction or violence, if you were to look at the people you know, the community you live in, the world you live in, if you were to look at it, you, you might say there's, a, there's an argument to be made that we are less happy, more unhappy than the people who came before us. So are you sure you know what makes you happy? Are you sure? Hey, Jesus knows uh, uh, what makes us happy. 
Now that might surprise you because you think about where would I go to find happiness? You might go to a book. Lots of people uh, go to Amazon or go to a bookstore. Lots of people go online. They, they search out a mentor. They want somebody to tell them how to be happy. But very few people will read what Jesus has to say because we don't think of Jesus as the happiest person who ever lived. We don't naturally think of, of, of Jesus as the happiness expert. But he is. I mean, if you're looking for a guru to lead you to the happy life that you so desperately desire, that guru is Jesus. And he wants you to be happy. So in other words, some people, some people aren't sure that Jesus knows that much about our happiness, but others think that Jesus doesn't really want happiness. He'd rather you be holy, but not happy. I mean, that song, If You're Happy and You Know It, if Jesus were writing that song, it'd be like, if you're happy and you know it, then repent, right? Because you really shouldn't be that happy. You can't be that happy and be a Christian, can you? John chapter 10, this is what Jesus says. Jesus says the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. So, so the thief can sometimes be Satan, right? He, he comes in and always wants to steal our happiness. But sometimes that thief is ourselves because oftentimes I am my, 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 my biggest obstacle to my happiness, right? I am my worst problem. Sometimes that thief is the lies that the world tells about what will make us happy. But, but understand this, Jesus is never the thief. Jesus always wants you to be happy. And yet, I'm wondering if we really listen to him on that. See, I think somehow we've got ourselves in this situation where we say to Jesus, Jesus, I trust you with my eternal life. Absolutely. When I die, I trust you with my eternal life. But I don't think I trust you with my everyday life. I think I know best there. Jesus, I trust you to pay for my sin and to take care of that problem but I don't think I really want to trust you when it comes to my happiness. You know, like somehow there are certain things we're willing to trust Jesus for, but a lot of things in our everyday life, not so much. But according to the happiest person who's ever lived, that's Jesus. According to the happiness expert, that's Jesus. What kind of person's happy? Well, Matthew 5, Let, let's just kind of set the stage first. Uh, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went on a mountain and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So you always see in the gospel kind of three crowds. There's, there's the inner core of his disciples. You might think of those as the 12 disciples. Then there's a, a, a next uh, a kind of core of disciples that aren't, there's more of them, but they're committed to following and obeying Jesus. And then outside of them are the crowds, these are the people who are just kind of listening in, kind of trying to figure it out, uh, kind of figuring out who is this Jesus guy? My guess is that right now, participating here and online, we have all three uh, groups. The, the inner core who are really sold out on Jesus, that next level who want to really follow Jesus. But then a lot of people are trying to figure it out. Is this guy really worth following? So what next and what Jesus teaches them from the mountain are called the Beatitudes. And this is stuff that Jesus repeats over and over in his ministry. It's the core part of Jesus's teaching. And it has to do with happiness. So let's go in, verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This word blessed is hard to translate into English. It can easily be translated happy. They don't oftentimes because 
they don't want you to think it's the kind of happiness that's kind of fleeting and temporal and this feeling. It's the kind of happiness, rather, that is deep and substantive. It's the kind of happiness that comes from having God's favor on you. It's the kind of happiness that doesn't depend on life circumstances. And so what Jesus says here is, happy are the poor in spirit. They might have a lot, they might have little. They might be at the top of their career, or they might be at the entry level of their career. They might be young, they might be old, I don't know. Here's what Jesus says, happy are those who are poor in spirit, which means happy is the person who depends on God. Happy is the person who depends on God. The, the person who depends on themselves, well, that person is anxious, stressed, unhappy. There's a story that uh, the Gospels tell about a time that John the Baptist is out telling people, hey, the Messiah is coming. Jesus, the Messiah, is coming. And, and people, kind of they're confused, and so they send out some religious leaders to ask John, uh, are you the Messiah? So here, let me read about in John chapter 1. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely hey, I, I am not the Messiah. Now imagine you're John and, and, and you're telling people the Messiah is coming. He's the one who's gonna fix everything. He's the one that, that's gonna heal the world. He's the one you've been waiting for. And then they come out and say, is that you? Wouldn't there be part of you that wants to go, yeah, it's me. <laughs> Wouldn't there be part of you that wants to be the person who everybody's depending on and everybody's looking to? Because there's, there's some part of all of us, I think, more in some of us than others, but in all of us, that we want to be the go-to person. We want to be the person that can fix every problem, right every wrong. We're the go-to person. Come to me, and I will work through your problems with you. I will help you solve your problems. I can be your listening ear. I can, I'm the one who is kind of self-appointed to correct every wrong out there on the internet, right? It all kind of depends on me. And, and we call that the Messiah complex because we think we can help save, solve all the problems for ourselves and the people around us. There's something that scratches an itch on us to be the person that everybody depends on. But what God says is, what Jesus says is, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are the people who say, I am not the Messiah. And here's what that sounds like in our life. I can't keep my kids safe. I'm not the Messiah. I can't make my kids make wise decisions. I'm not the Messiah. I can't solve my kids' problems or your problems. I, I'm not the Messiah. I can't be everywhere and do everything. I, I, I can't solve your financial problems or your health problems. I can't solve your anxiety problems or your loneliness problems. I can be a good friend. I can come alongside you and listen and pray with you, but I can't be everything for you. I can't be the Messiah for you. Happy are the people who are quick to say, I am poor in spirit. I am not the Messiah. I, I, I don't trust in myself, but in God. I'm not the Messiah, but I trust in the Messiah. It's the self-reliant people, the people who think too highly of themselves, they can solve all these problems and be everything to everybody. That's the person who gets stressed and anxious and unhappy. Because there's so much pressure. No wonder you're anxious. 
I mean, one of my favorite prayers, maybe my favorite prayer in all the Bible, it is found by a king. It's in Second Chronicles. It's by a king named Jehoshaphat. And he's the king of Israel, and all these armies are around him. And he's like, oh, we're sunk. So look what he says. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Do you hear that? I'm not the Messiah. <laughs> do you hear that? I can't depend on me. I can't do this, but my eyes are on you. And I just want to know, what part of your life do you need to pray that? God, this is a concern of mine, but I can't, my eyes are on you because I can't do it. But God, I'm looking to you because it's really important. I depend on you. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who rely on God. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy mourners. Jumbo shrimp, right? I mean, does it make sense? It's like this oxymoron, happy mourners? But Jesus says, yeah, happy mourners, because mourning is the right response to living in a broken world. Mourning is what emotionally mature, connected people do. They mourn. They don't, they don't try to hide. Emotionally mature, connected people don't try to hide from sadness, right? They don't just try to shake it off. Now, I'll admit, I, there's part of me that wants to do that. I want to be the person who comes in the back of the funeral and leaves first and doesn't have to deal with it, or maybe comes up with an excuse not to be there. You know, oh, work got too busy, or I just didn't feel that well, didn't think I should be there, you know, because I want to push that away and keep that distant from me because it all gets so overwhelming. But what Jesus says is that happy are those, happy mourners are those who look at death, who, who, who look at the sadness, who feel it, who mourn it, and who see God at work in it. You know, every so often, every few weeks or whatever it is, we end up doing services that have a lot of lament in our services. First of all, there's a lot of lament in the Bible, so that's one reason, right? But also because, because it is acknowledging that the world we live in is broken and we're trying to figure it out. Imagine living in our world with the sadness and the grief, the things that are far away from us and the things that are really close to home for us. And then coming into a church that every Sunday, always, it's happy, clappy, cheer up, way to go, we're victors. You just walk out like, do these people not live in the same world I live in? Does God not know what my life is like? Because the right response to a broken world is to lament. So back to the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. If I came up and said to you, man, your kids are so meek, would you think that's a compliment? <laughs> you probably wouldn't, right? Because we think of meekness as weakness, but meekness is gentleness. And Jesus, he only described himself one time. In Matthew 11, he says, I am meek, I am gentle and humble and lowly in heart. To be meek is to be like Jesus. It's to be gentle. It's to be kind and encouraging. Because nobody says, happy are the wrathful. <laughs> happy are the harsh. Happy are the angry. The next beatitude, verse six says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Happy are those who hunger for God's will for their life. 
unhappy, unhappy are the people who have their plan for their life. They know how it should go and when it should happen. You know, they shouldn't get cancer or if they do, they should be one of those miracle stories or they should be married at this time or have this kind of job or live in this kind of city. And they're committed to their life and their plan in their life. And they think God should be committed to their plan for their life. Unhappy are those people. Jesus says happy are the people who go palms up, who say, I don't know better than God. God, not my will, but thy will be done in my life. Verse seven, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Happy, happy are the relationally generous. Happy are the people who don't hold grudges, but who forgive, who don't seek revenge or hold on to bitterness. Happy are those who assume the best about other people's motives, who give other people the benefit of the doubt. Ever met a happy person that's bitter and angry? It's not that happy people have not been hurt, they have. It's just that they know how to forgive because they know that they have been forgiven, right? They know they have been forgiven. Happy people follow Jesus who hung on a cross and prayed for mercy for the very people who put him on that cross. Verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. What's it mean to be pure in heart? I think Jesus is riffing on Psalm 23 or Psalm 24. It says, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? In other words, who gets to see God? Well, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. So this gives us insight into what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. He's saying, blessed are those who, who don't take sin lightly who aren't flippant about sin, because you never are happier for doing the wrong thing. But my guess is that you look back at your life and you regret times where you did the wrong thing. You regret it, right? You, you regret the lie. You regret the gossip. You regret the lack of integrity. You regret the anger and the blow up. But you don't ever look back and say, I regret doing the right thing. Doing the wrong thing never leads to happiness. It leads to regret. Verse nine, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Blessed, happy are those who reconcile others. Happy are those who can bring people together. Happy are those who listen to understand another person, who empathize with another person. Happy are those who find common ground because God is a peacemaker. Do you ever say happy are the outraged? Do you ever find divisive people? Do you ever find trolls and critics to be happy people? Yeah, no, not so much. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed, happy are the persecuted because this is a happiness that does not depend on our circumstances. And, and, so, and so if you're being persecuted, if you get flack for doing the right thing, for following Jesus, then you can possess your happiness in the middle of that. Now, if you're getting flack just because you're a jerk, well, that's on you. But there's a way to follow Jesus that maintains your happiness even in the midst of real difficulties. So, so let's some, get some takeaways here, some takeaways. The first is this. Do I believe that Jesus knows what will make me happy? Who gets to define the path to happiness in my life? Is it, is it the catalogs? Is it Google? Is it the websites I visit? Is it stores? Is it catalogs that come to my house? Is it 
TV shows, movies, actors, sports. Who gets to define the path of happiness for me? Do I trust Jesus with my eternal life and my everyday life? Second takeaway, happiness isn't a thing. And when Jesus was laying this out, it's so countercultural, it's so counterintuitive because we think happiness is this thing I can get, you know, like I can buy it and I, I just have it in my, my cabinet and so when I'm unhappy, I just go take it out and oh, I got my happiness. But happiness doesn't go in a driveway or a garage. Happiness doesn't sit in a lake. Happiness is not at the end of a plane ride. Happiness is, is not something you can put on your resume. Happiness is not a size that you can fit into, right? Happiness doesn't have a zip code. The third thing is that happiness is a result. It's a byproduct. In other words, if you want to make sure you're unhappy, then set happiness as your goal. Tell your kids your goal is to be happy. Show them that that's the life, that that's the end of the rainbow is to be happy and you will for sure be unhappy and you will set them up for great unhappiness. Happiness is not a goal, it's a horrible goal. It it is a byproduct, the result of something else, of a life well lived, of listening to Jesus, of following hard after him. And then whether you have a lot or little or, or this size or that size, live here or there, whatever it is, you can find happiness because it, because it turns out, it turns out that we're not sitting in Alcatraz looking out at happiness as if it's just out of reach because happiness isn't a what, it's a who that's with us regardless of our circumstances. So, so let's finish with Jesus. I think Jesus is thinking of Jeremiah. When Jeremiah said, you've abandoned the living water and have have built cracked cisterns that don't hold water, I think Jesus is thinking of that when he has this really important conversation with a woman. It's a famous conversation in which he says this, anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. The only thing that this world has on tap for you is disappointment. The only thing that this world has on tap for you will leave you thirsty for more and you'll never be able to get enough. You've seen that already in your life. You don't need to keep going down that road anymore, do you? But Jesus, he offers a water that quenches your thirst. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would show each of us the cracked cisterns that we have built to put our happiness in. What areas of our life, Jesus, have we looked to to make us happy that always fail us? Jesus, I pray that you would give us the grace, the grace that we need to trust you, not just with our eternal life, but our everyday life not just with our sin, but with our happiness. And I pray that we would believe you when you say happy are the poor in spirit, happy are the mourners, happy are the meek, happy are the merciful, happy are the peacemakers, happy are those who hunger and thirst for the righteousness, happy are the persecuted. That we would find our happiness in the living water, the only one who satisfies Have mercy on us, Jesus. 
It's in your name we pray. Amen. Please stand to receive God's blessing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. Have a great Sunday.